You are listening to Down Home. It's one of the most prolonged brutal acts of cruelty that humans have enacted upon other humans in recorded history. The transatlantic slave trade. Slavery itself is a savage practice, but the system behind it was especially heinous. In this episode, me and Jay have a conversation with public speaker and cultural anthropologist Curtis Brooks Loon about what he considers a few of the misconceptions of the Atlantic slave trade. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience by two black men. I am Derek Wise, and as always, we have Jay Jones. What's happening, y'all? And our guest this week is anthropologist, public speaker, Curtis Brooks. Curtis, how you doing, man? I'm bad. I'm doing good. Good, good, good. Uh, so, so, Curtis, tell us a little bit about yourself uh and your scotian story for the for those of our listeners that might may not know who you are um so yeah uh i I mean born born and raised in toronto uh obviously my my heritage is nova scotian kind of used to spend our summers up there and and grew up around my my uncles my aunts and everybody everybody's so welcoming i've always loved it uh down home and um yeah have a always had a passion for, for culture and history and where people are from. Um, and that led into to the, the discipline of uh, anthropology, like getting to know people. You know, that's what we are. We're, we're people, people. Um, and uh, eventually uh, after that, I you know, started doing my own thing because it was important that you know, got into the, you know, heavily into the black community and got into making sure that you know, we were knowing ourselves because a lot of the times when it comes to uh, black people, our histories, first off, they're, they're forgotten. And secondly, um, they're, they haven't been able to be, be taught to us. So I got into practice of teaching uh, uh, black history for uh, 11 years from 2005 to 2016. Um, started learning a, a, a lot more. In, in different areas and started doing a lot more study and uh i don't know here i am mm-hmm. the um my cousin who um who works in education and she actually took up the mantle of uh uh doing work with uh black youth she called it heavy work though because it, it is heavy work uh so so what kind of like attracted you or or pushed you in in the the direction of doing that heavy work you know where i grew up um we had <laughs> like virt- virtually all the guys i grew up with were, were drug dealers hmm. and i would i they would always say to me they'd be like don't do what we do yeah, and this is what this is what they were always saying. And I'd see them with the nice cars. I'd see them with you know the, the bling at the time. They're they're always bling with that. And but they would always say to me, "Listen, you're one of the smart ones. Don't do what we do." And the thing about it is, I, I kind of admired the what they were doing. Not not the not the part of it that's you know drugs and and ruining people's lives, but the the ability to to do it. Mm-hmm. So these guys would, wouldn't write anything down. They wouldn't write anything down because obviously if you get stopped by the cops, you get picked up, the, the cops you know, have evidence right, to put you away. So they had to keep everything in their minds. And, and these guys would have kept, you know, kept all their clients, all their clients' real names, their, their clients' uh, you know, aliases, their, they would keep all their numbers and everything in their head. And I was amazed by this because I couldn't do this. I, I couldn't do this for the life of me it, to not write things down, to not have some sort of, you know, paper trail. I, I couldn't do that. And it, it, it amazed me because, you know, they, they knew, you know, the quantities, et cetera. Um, and I, I recognize something because, you know, when they would say to me that I was one of the, the smart ones, I said, no, I'm not really, again, I can't do what you do. 
So I don't think I'm that smart. I think that what it is is that I had a different upbringing. And in the way my mom was raising me, she said, okay, look, first off, first off, we're not allowed to use slang. So you know, to, to this day, you, you'll rarely hear me swear. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, they don't, you know, we weren't allowed to use slang. We, we had to you know, present ourselves in a certain way. So I understood that it wasn't, the, in, there was something wrong with the individuals at all. Quite the opposite, that, that, that they were superior in a lot of ways to the general society. It was just that the culture that they had been exposed to, or or the uh, the the things that they that were available to them, led them to to the situation. And I saw so much wasted potential. One of um, uh, I, I was being on poetry. I've always been big on poetry. And there's there's a poet um, can't remember the brother's name right now, but he put forth a piece that I said, look. You know, there's nothing wrong with the, the hustlers. Just change the hustle and, you know, make it a legal hustle. Because mm-hmm. that's all Gates does. That's all, you know, that's all uh, what do you, all these different billion, billionaires do is they just make it a legal hustle. And even that, you know, how legal is it? But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, but just make, just, you know, he was talking to the brothers, just make it a legal hustle. And, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you'll you'll have millionaires and billionaires, and so you know that became my um, my motivation because you know as I grew up people would always say that hey you know and the funny thing is just it's just the way I talk a little bit different only because mm-hmm. like I said I was penalized uh, uh, into talking this way, but but it wasn't any smarter than anybody else. If anything, in, in my eyes, I was actually dumber, and than the majority. I just spent my time doing different things mm-hmm. things that were considered uh to be more reputable more respectable and so on so um yeah uh, that's that's why i got into to, to the education because there's so many youth that that you could reach out to and, and 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 raise people up and there's so many people that just kind of miss out on on opportunities mm-hmm. um and that's that's the end of that but but uh it doesn't have to be we can if we actually reach out in the right ways and, and be those role models be those be that change as as uh, gandhi would say um you know we can actually make that difference that needs to be made mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the, true. your um your story reminds me a lot about growing up in the north into halifax and um you know in the in the 80s, the North End of Halifax, even though a very tight neighborhood, it did have its uh, socioeconomic problems. There was a, a fair amount of drugs and, and whatnot. And just like you're saying, like, you know, you, you, you'd walk by and you'd pass some of these brothers that were doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And very similar story. They, they would, uh, they would um, you know, look, look at me and say, hey, you're doing you're doing great man you're doing great mm-hmm. and some of these guys have fall, fallen by the wayside like uh, I, yeah too many to name and you know what like it's it's a matter of culture mm. uh, and this is this is the 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 primary difference um that that we have to understand and when i say culture what i mean is you know the the true the actual definition of culture a lot of by the way i just kind of throw this off off my chest very quickly because it's it's an important point um there's a lot of uh terms that we misuse colloquially in society right so and and especially anthropological terms people people talk about anthropology without knowing that they're talking about anthropology and all these terms are very much defined so when we talk about culture what we're talking about um is is not spice and, and clothing and all that kind of stuff. The, the actual definition or the, or the anthropological definition is that which is uh, carried, passed down from one generation to the next and carried on beyond that, right? So whatever that custom is, you know, this is why it permeates through food. This is why it permeates through clothing and, and dress and style and, and speech because these are all the things that we pass down from one generation to the next, right? It's 
we, you know, every generation does this. We have, and it has the responsibility of doing this too, of filtering. So what you do is you're born and you have parents. And those parents are going to teach you this, that, and the other. And most of that stuff you're going you're gonna, to uh, pick up and take with you. And some of those things you're going to decide to drop off. The things that you choose to hold on to and you say, yeah, I'm going to make sure that my children know this, that's culture. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And what has happened for us now as, as black people uh, on this continent is that we have lost our culture. We have lost our culture because historically, for historically, we've not written enough down and or passed it on orally. And that was deliberately uh, messed up. That, that was deliberately interrupted uh, by, by you know, other, other aspects of the culture. So, so you know, when that happens now, you're losing multiple generations of refinement a filtering of, of, of knowledge. You lose, you know, this is why, you know, we talk about that, the, the word bastard, right? What's a bastard? Well, a bastard specifically is a, is a person with another father. And notice they don't talk about a mother. The reason for that is because the, you know, the mother's always too busy doing work. She's, mm-hmm. she's always too, too busy with, with sustenance and keeping every child alive. The father's usually the, the one who uh, dispenses the knowledge because he has that kind of time. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, so he goes, and, and, and this, is, this is the aspect that, that people don't understand. So we have a word bastard for, for people, for children who don't have a father. Okay. Well, why did they think it was relevant to come up with a word, you know, to, to segregate these types of people? Well, it's because you know, that element of culture starts to wane when you don't have a father. Yeah. And when it's significant. You know, it's always said that men have, have children for, for legacy and women have children for the love of it. And this is pretty much the, the case anywhere you go on the planet. You know, men, men, they're they're more far more concerned with hey, you know, uh, what's going to live on after I'm, I'm right. Women just love that baby. That's yeah, why yeah. I've made that. It's a beautiful thing, and I want to love it. I want to nurture it. That's you know, that's the the, the feminist perspective. The, the mm-hmm. And um, and so, the man is far more concerned with you know, kind of Im- uh, immortalizing himself. And saying, yeah, you know what? I'm going to live on through this child. Mm-hmm. And that's how culture is passed on. Okay? I'm going to live on through this child. Okay. So therefore, I'm. what does that actually mean? It means I'm going to impart every aspect of knowledge that I can about my history and, and my future to this child. And mm-hmm. so um, people that don't get that, you know, um, very rarely are able to pick up uh, that which they need in order to, to function properly in a society, especially, especially if they are, are males um, because they, they, they end up lacking that, that not only do they end up lacking that role model for how to be good men, which is a very important aspect of any society, um, but they also uh, lack in, in the sense of, you know that connection to 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 their history, right? And, right. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's 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 a big deal. It was a big enough deal for you know um, different government organizations to to use that as a weapon, uh, deliberately use that uh, as a weapon against us mm-hmm. uh, in, in their their files. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, speaking of history and uh, commerce and uh, everything that sort of, you know, on this journey of doing down home, discovering about, uh, you know, sort of uh, issues, especially slavery. um, What, in your opinion, is are some of the misconceptions of the transatlantic slave trade? Like, you know, obviously, we know it runs deeper. Are there some things that you can, you know, maybe... uh, Tell us that we might not know about. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> there. Oh gosh, where, where to start with with the transatlantic slave trade? Um, okay, so I, I think the the the, the largest 
uh, issue. The largest issue is his first off the numbers. Okay, um, very. It's a challenge because okay. This this event happened. Okay, the question um, is to what degree did it happen? So what we are taught and what we you know teach, what I taught for, for 11 years is that, okay, well, 12 million, 12 million Africans were transported to the Americas over a period of you know, roughly from the 1600s, 1619 is, is supposedly when the first ones arrived. And uh, uh, it legally ends in uh, 18, 1833 uh, with, in all the colonies. Right, so that's when Britain, uh, Britain outlaws it. So that's a period of what uh, two hundred and some odd years of, of transporting slaves, and this, and this is the narrative that that we're taught. Um, the problem is that uh, it's not true uh, in a lot of respects. Um, while there were some, there is less than. Uh, a million that actually made it across in that in that middle path passage. Really, mm -hmm. uh, the vast majority of of slaves were actually indigenous slaves. Mm. Uh, this is even more true in and more documented in Canada. So uh, Quebec was the largest province uh, of slaveholders, um, and uh, the vast majority of them um, were were. Uh, indigenous slaves. They they call them uh, primarily. They were primarily slaves coming from the Pawnee Nation. The Pawnee were were the ones that were selling uh, fellow um, indigenous slaves that they would capture from from around um, their region and selling them into into Quebec. Um, people in Quebec were enslaving people as well. Um, a lot of this uh, translates. So so most of this you're. You're not going to see this record for it because a lot of those times, though, um, the slavers and slave masters uh, found that the slaves, uh, the African slaves, were indistinguishable from the indigenous slaves. And this is probably the biggest misconception that most people have um, because if you couldn't tell the difference, because most of us, you know, believe and have the understanding that, hey, the vast majority of slave, uh, the vast majority of of indigenous people uh, look like what is truly uh, Western indigenous people. Yeah. So that that traditional look of of what you you know stereotypically think of uh, as indigenous people, uh, that's the Western Plains people, and there are different types of phenotypes um, in in the Americas. In fact, all the different phenotypes were represented. But the most uh, prominent ones were uh, ones that were, again, to use the, the anthropological terms, the, the Negro or Negroid type. Right? Mm -hmm. um, that diff uh, that's where we get a lot of the confusion here is, is that a lot of the times they could not tell the difference between the indigenous versus the African because we look so similar that they were just simply like, oh, okay, we're going to take this. And then there was, of course, there was a lot of incentive for them to make that confusion as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the the twelve million number, because that's that's the one that I yep. remember just off the top of my head. Where does that come from then? Okay. Um, so uh, it is an amalgamation of of, uh, of different ones. First and foremost, we got to remember that okay, we start off with with seventeen colonies. Okay. Four in, in the North Quebec, Ontario, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia, and Ontario. Yeah, I already mentioned Ontario. Um, and then you got the 13 colonies in the South. Okay. Now, uh, in the South, we, we, we have um, a lot of people who, uh, again, uh, they, they were of the Negroid type. And this is part of the problem is that, is that anthropology at the time Anthropology at the time was was still in its infancy. Okay, um, so there there's um, they were trying to 
part of anthropology or a large part of it, in fact, the largest part of anthropology is, is categorizing people. How do we understand, you know, the differences between people? Because we're not really too concerned with the similarities because we know what those similarities are, right? Biologically, you know, we have all the same blood types. We all have all the same, you know, muscle mass, all the same, et cetera, et cetera. So what, so what are the differences between people? And that's what we're trying to focus on to see, especially in cultural anthropology where you find the most difference. But anyway, um, so at the time, they were trying to find, you know, ways of categorizing and grouping people. And, and so they come up with the, the, the concept of races. Um, this is vaguely already understood before this, but but this is where they canonize it, and they start saying, "Okay, look, so these these people from from Northeast Asia, you know, we're going to call them the the Orient because that's where we got our orientation from, right? Uh, a lot of the education that they got uh, as Europeans came from from Asia, so they so they oriented themselves towards that, uh, and this is why they started calling them the Orientals, the then you got the Southeast Asian, uh, the, the 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 people there, Shindu, Hindu, so they they call they refer to them as the Hindus. Then then you got the the, the Africans, and and they uh, they're characterized by by their their phenotype. Or dark skin was was what was what uh, they connected with it. So they said, okay, yeah, uh, the, these the term for them is Negroid, Negroid. And then when they came to North America, um, it was very interesting because they saw people that were very similar. In fact, most of the explorers, most of the explorers, uh, their firsthand accounts, once you see those accounts, they talk about, um, they they're frequently confusing us with Africans. Mm. So they're saying they're, you know, that you know, they keep meeting the indigenous here. And they keep calling them Negroid, Negroid. And it's very confusing, confusing uh, for them. And you can see why. So they, they often give these, these explanations. And it's funny because one of the explorers kind of is it, it, truly hilarious to me anyway, because he's writing in his journal about, you know, he's gone to all these different continents all over the world. And, and God damn it. He can't uh, get away from these damn Negroes. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's like, how did they take over the world? We were so great, and we should have taken over the world. And yet, everywhere I go, I find Negroes. And it's it's it, so it's it's funny in that respect because it's like you know you can see that the the, the genuine accounts because there's there's genuine emotion behind them where where there's there's they're literally lamenting the fact that that they cannot find others like themselves. But it but it. But it stands in contrast to to you know the concept that that we've been taught in school. Again, we've been taught that there is one type of phenotype on this continent, and yet over and over again we're rediscovering that that wasn't true. Um, but rather that not only that was there uh, every phenotype, two main phenotypes that we see in North America, two main um, physical types, which was again the more uh, Mongoloid, quote unquote, Mongoloid uh, uh, Midwestern nations, and then the rest of the continent, they find uh, Negroid type people, people who look like us, and those people are now then enslaved uh, and enslaved en masse. Either they're enslaved or they're driven out of, of their other lands. Okay, and as they do so. As they go into to these lands and start driving people, drive you want to drive the mass majority of the people out of the land when you're trying to conquer it, uh, especially the the men. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the men are the ones who who fight back, right? So you can't. So you need to either kill a whole bunch of them off, um, or or drive them out of the land, which is why you see these these mass migrations straight down into the to the south into into florida and right. then you had that whole situation with the seminoles and and that kind of thing and then you had the trail of tears going into oklahoma and all that kind of stuff right now um with us with us it's it's always been a little bit different but but those numbers come out of the enslavement uh of these first nations peoples okay um now the problem arose when they started making agreements and okay, so so you know the Euro europeans arriving 
they start they start losing the wars okay something that uh, you know again they don't like to teach you in, in, in history but they start losing a lot of these the, these wars because they're outnumbered they're, there's a whole bunch of us and uh, you know we surround them so what they started doing is is they start you know writing treaties right in a lot of situations and they say hey look look let's declare peace we don't want any more fighting we're gonna we're, we're, we're doing peace okay sounds good sign off bam it's a peace treaty no fighting but then what starts happening is the, there's abductions happening. Okay? Obviously, they're not abductions of Europeans, but rather they're abductions uh, of, of indigenous peoples. And this happened, starts happening all throughout you know, Georgia, Alabama, and including in Nova Scotia as well. And they start taking people away. And every time the, the leaders uh, of the indigenous leaders are going and saying, hey, look, are you guys doing this to us? The, the, the colonists, hey, our hands are clean. We haven't, we didn't do anything, right? Who's doing the abducting? Well, they're so-called pirates. And this is where we started getting into, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, Hollywood side of things. The pirates of the Caribbean are the ones who are yeah, doing, yeah. Are, are doing <laughs> this. This is, this is who the, these, these pirates truly are, yeah. right? So, the the main commerce there 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 is other commerce there is sugar there's tobacco there's all sorts mm -hmm. of different things that that they're, they're they're doing but the 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 main commerce that they're they're dealing in uh is pirates of the caribbean is slaves mm -hmm. right? this is why they get the the reputation of, of this ruthlessness mm -hmm. and furthermore it's why they they propagate this this uh this reputation of ruthlessness why because to be a slaver you have to be ruthless because you have to scare the, the slave population into not revolting against you, right? And to not rising up against you. So what they start doing is they they go in, and of course, by the way, you know, I, I was kind of being a little bit facetious earlier when I was saying like the colonists absolutely know what what this is. In fact, a lot of the times the colonists are actually um, uh, instigating and paying off these privateers because that's what they are. They're they're guns for hire. Well, you know. We think of pirates as, you know, I don't know what we, you know, we have this. Yeah, they, we, we, we romanticize. Yes. Yeah, we have this, exactly, this <laughs> romanticized view of, of what a pirate is. But in, in reality, what, you know, what these uh, pirates are is they're privateers. They're, they're people, they, they were uh, people who owned ships who mm -hmm. were basically mercenaries for hire. Is really mm -hmm. what they are on the seas. And so these guys are going in and... You know the colonists are saying, "Hey, yeah, go go for it." You know, we don't, we can't be recognized as being people who are stealing these indigenous people from their from their villages, from their from their homes, right? Because if we're recognized, any of our people are recognized, right? Then that breaks, will be it. That breaks will be the treaty, breaks. right? Yeah, exactly. That's the end mm -hmm. of our, our treaty. So go in there, snatch them in the middle of the night, take them out, and do whatever you guys do with them. Sell them. So on on the pirate side of things, that's what they would do, and they but they they're not going. Where where are they taking them? They have to take them far away from their people, so they can't recognize the language and can't recognize the people, right? Because remember, we're back in the day, we're doing trade too. We're doing trade one nation to the next nation. We're all mm -hmm. doing trade with each other, right? Yeah. So they're gonna you know recognize each other's languages. They're gonna recognize you know that kind of thing. Right. So what they would do is they take them, take them to the Caribbean. Okay. Uh, this is in some part. This is how po some parts of the Caribbean get populated that weren't populated, and in other parts, uh, they just mix them up into it, and they they just trade. Some you know people from from Georgia are being sent to Nova Scotia. People from Nova Scotia are being sent to to you know be a slave in Jamaica. They're just mixing, mixing everybody up. So this is what we call um, uh, uh, privateer laundering or slave laundering, rather. And this is what we call slave laundering. The point is, is just to mix and jumble everybody up so that they come up clean on the other side. So, so that they can't be identified with, with people that they have a treaty with to say, hey, look, we have, we have a peace treaty. You broke the treaty. Now we're going to come kick your asses. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so this is what they're doing throughout the Caribbean, and they do this for 
you know, pretty much the whole time. The vast majority of, of slave trading is happening there. And in fact, even the first, even the, the first instance uh, of slavery, you know, that we document to say from 1619 in, um, uh, where was it? Uh, I was in Virginia there. Um, that one wasn't actually from Africa either. Mm -hmm. right? Oftentimes we get confused with the term Negro. And this is the problem. This is, this is the main problem that we end up having is that we think Negroes are Africans. When in, when in fact, Negro is a phenotypical expression. Okay. It's people who look like you and I, that's what a Negro is by the, original definition of the term and that term is what is used in the official documents back in the day they don't right. use that right mm -hmm. it's negro yeah. right um and negro is also defined as being so it depending on which colony you're in because they all had started doing remember these colonies all acted as individual um essentially countries, for lack of a better word, until they become the United States, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're acting as individual countries. And so they have their own legal definitions. And they all have, uh, they're slightly askewed, right? Slightly different from one another. But the term Negro um, uh, that best describes what we're talking about here is, they say, as good as an African. Really? Yes. Mm, that's interesting. As, as good as, and this is defined in the uh, 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 in the Virginia Slave Act. I have it on. We have it on our site, mm -hmm. um, but uh, or you can read exactly the, the wording. But it's but it's as good as an African, or or akin to African. Mm -hmm. and the reason they 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 said that they set that up is they were actually having a problem at the time. It's kind of a it's it's a weird problem because you know. Like I couldn't make this shit up anyway. So it's a weird problem to have because it's, it's a problem that kind of is very disgusting, but essentially what was happening is, you know, first off, they were only moving male slaves around for the most part. Mm -hmm. They're not really, they, they occasionally they, they, they have female slaves, but uh, that they move around female slaves. Most of it's, it's male slaves. Okay. And what's happening at this point is, Remember, I said they, they always push the men out because they yeah. were causing wars, right? Okay, so what's left? You have a whole bunch of women left on the land with, you know, that you're doing plantations on. So, so there's a whole bunch of women. Think about it you're, as a slave owner. You have 10 women, let's just say, on your, your slave plantation. Okay, well, here's the thing. I could buy more slaves or I can by one male and have now now 20 new slaves and at the time at the time in 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 the slave market african slaves were the highest priced mm -hmm. okay because mm -hmm. on average they were, they were taller they were bigger they're wider more muscular etc cetera, etc cetera. and they were seen as like the rolls royce of 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 uh, slaves right so, so what slave, uh, what slavers would do, or what slave breeders would do, is they they go and they buy one African and bring him in as a bull, and have him impregnate all the indigenous black women that they had, right, that were already working, and so now he paid top dollar for that that one African. He paid top dollar for that one African, and and uh, of course the men were worth more than the women, and you know and so on. So so he's an African man. He's 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 worth the most. Okay, and they have a whole bunch of uh, indigenous black women. Okay, he impregnates all of them. Then you and they all get you know they all give birth. So now he's gonna, but he wants top dollar for all his you know his baby slaves. Okay, so he's going to go out and try and sell those. All right, so he's going to try and sell them. Um, but here's the thing. Does he sell them as African or does he sell them as Native? Okay, yeah. Right? I get what you're saying, yeah. How, what's going to get you the most money? 
Mm-hmm. Well, start selling them as natives, or sorry, start selling them as Africans. Yeah, and he's going to obviously tell them that you know it's purebred African. He's top. Give me, give me as much as I can get. Yeah, and this was happening so frequently. Um, it was happening so frequently that that the Virginia slave courts get overwhelmed, as mm. do some of the, the other ones in the South. Start getting overwhelmed with with guys saying, "Hey, look, I paid, I paid for a full bred African." A full-bred African. He gave me, you know, a mixed indigenous and African. Really? That's so I should be paying uh, half or a quarter or whatever. Yeah. And so this this causes them to have to change the laws to the point where they say, "Hey, look, all right, here's the deal. We can't handle all these cases. We're getting bogged down with paperwork and all this other stuff. Listen, we're making a new law. One drop, black blood." And he's, he's as good as African. He's as good as Negro. So you're all paying top dollar. That's the end of that. We just settled it. They're yeah. all Africans. <laughs> that's, that's it. They're Africans. That's, that's interesting. I've always wondered, because, um, you know, we're, we're taught that the one drop rule was had different kind of nefarious origins, right? Mm-hmm. No, and, um, you know, there's, there's multiple valuable yeah. ways. The same, the same, because oftentimes the breeder wasn't an African. The breeder was the slave master himself, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So this is how you get out of, you know, uh, you know, responsibility for your children is you... The you one drop. Well, yeah, it's one drop. There you yeah, go. Yeah. You, so that's the other... And it's sick and disgusting. Mm. That's, that's the thing. It's a sick and disgusting history, but it is but it is the, the true it is history. Yeah, and it is so, history. and so, this is where we get this number uh, of twelve million because they were mm. breeding. Most of these guys are, are are being bred on the continent, and and we just take that final number of all the people who were enslaved at by the by the end time by the okay. end, of time, and we say, well, there was twelve million of these slaves, so. We not knowing the whole history behind it and the whole study behind it, we assume that all those those slaves were African. Mm-hmm. When in reality, there is less than a million that we can that we can point to mm-hmm. that we can confirm concretely confirm came over on a slave ship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, very interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so, that's a lot to take I know, in. And our story in Nova Scotia is, is again, it, it's the, there's so much that goes into that too. It's just kind of like, but you, you got to get into the to the weeds. You got to get into the nitty gritty of it uh, and actually look at. Okay, so who is coming at what point from where? Mm-hmm. And, and and it's 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 a it's a paradigm shifting thing because. I went through this too. I again, I taught that, like I said at the beginning, I taught that same story of okay, yeah, they brought those slaves, you know, over twelve million of them, yeah, and uh, that was that. It's like, well, mm, there's a little bit more to that. Yeah, I mean, the, well, even the logistics behind that doesn't really work. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean, just for the simple fact of how it was such a big money business, so they would do mm-hmm. anything to just keep that that rolling in any capacity that they could, whether it was not taking the people from their own land, and yeah. uh, just. But like you say, all those things are just interesting in the in the way that uh, how to sort of, uh, you know, almost divide and conquer and have power over people. Like that's the mentality that we end up that we ended up getting caught in thinking yeah. that uh you know we couldn't break free of this kind of thing yeah yeah it, um, it, go ahead no yeah no i just wanted to say like now obviously you've experienced a lot of different things being raised in toronto um yeah. you know being multi multi multiculturally diverse here and yeah. uh calgary I, I mean i'm not sure what it's like but i'm i'm guessing maybe not as much but um how how diverse is it in Calgary, and what issues do the BIPOC community f- face? Um, okay, two questions. Uh, okay, so with yeah. with um, with uh, Calgary, you know, Calgary is is far more diverse than uh, I think most people think. I, I know before I got here, um, I I was definitely freaked out. You know, I, I remember there was a 
three brothers that I knew that were out here working, you know, two of them were in the oil sands. One of them was down here and, mm-hmm. and uh, they're just like, yo, come out, make some money, man, make some money. Do the hustle. <laughs> I said, all right. I said, you know what, you know what, we can, you know, we can do that. I said, but yo, like, what if the clan gets me? You know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And they're like, they're like, man, don't be stupid. Like, it's fine. Trust me. You, you're thinking about 50 years ago. And I'm like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know. Look, look, all right, look, I'll come stay with you. And, and cause I know that you're, you know, you somehow have survived out there. Um, but, um, so then I, you know, but eventually when I came out, uh, came out here, what, 2013 and I was pleasantly surprised. I was, I was very, I was very surprised. I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? It, it's definitely, I mean, I think, I think there's a couple things to be said about how they do things. I think, uh, in, in Toronto, we do things a lot, uh, better with, you know, multiculturalism because, it's more as much as here there's a lot of uh different cultures everybody's from different places um they're more enclaves and they kind of more stick to themselves yeah yeah right. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so so everybody you know you know yeah exactly the indians are here the, the yeah, yeah. Are here and they all kind of stay to their you know right. their own, nobody really interacts as much so right. i think that's the, the 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 largest issue um but um but you know uh, as far as racism concerned, I think it's, I, I think when, I think there's different types of racism for sure. Um, I think here people tend to be more blunt. Oh, really? With, with mm. their, with their language. Yeah. But uh, I don't think that there's, you know, uh, a high level of hatred. I wouldn't say that there's a, a large uh, level of hatred. I think just people are more blunt with their language about, uh, you know, surrounding race. Mm-hmm. And that will throw a lot of people off as opposed to as opposed to I find the racism uh in Toronto worse in a lot of ways because it's yeah. it's, it's overt. Covert. It's yeah. over, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So so and it's like it's like that will it'll hinder me from getting a job in Toronto, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, somebody out here who's gonna give me a job might be be more uh, forthright with talking about my race oh, they, they may not they shouldn't be but they'll, but they'll still give me the job so oh, okay yeah whatever let's do this <laughs> as opposed to uh whereas back home where it's more hey um you know um oh we we found a different candidate yeah oh, okay <laughs> Yeah, okay. a, can- a right. candidate that fits yeah. our culture more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> our work yeah. culture. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Something to that yeah. effect where you're like, okay, um, yeah. but what's what's the what's the situation? So, um, and um, uh, to the other to the other question, you know, uh, well, again, with with the the BIPOC community at, at this point, I, I find certain things troubling that that i think are kind of overlooked a lot of the time um i think our focus is a lot of times on the wrong things Mm -hmm. so i mean i'm i i'm fairly uh old school and traditional on on respect like i said you know we're talking about uh uh father malcolm malcolm x doing his thing giving us that beautiful ideology you know marcus garvey all these different guys uh you know who would speak about uh, a mentality of building for ourselves, right? I think a lot of times we, we, we go in uh, a direction which is more the, the the white liberal direction of things where they will like to say, hey, look, you know, let's, let us give you, let us do for you. Mm. And that comes a lot from their white guilt, which is, you know, well-earned, well-deserved, sure, whatever. But But I don't think ultimately that's what does the best for our people right i would like to see more of what you guys are doing which is you know you guys bring people on you build a build this up right i want i want you know uh what do you call it uh the fubu you know mm. uh, buy us for us right mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. so you know have us have us build up uh ourselves and each other i mean the the best economic times for for black people uh, on this continent, uh, or, or back in the fifties and forties and fifties, where you had black wall street. And yeah. remember, these are, these are the times where people are the most racist. Yeah. Right. They're mm-hmm. far more racist than they, they were now doing lynching, doing killing us day by day. Yeah. Um, but what made us 
more economically powerful was the very fact that we had to stick together and we had only each other to rely on. In fact, mm-hmm. the, the top uh, top banks at, at that time in history were black banks. And the mm-hmm. reason for that was because, because 100% of all the, the black people went to, to those banks because uh, the, these guys, is, these white racists, their, their racism backfired on them. Mm-hmm. They said you couldn't bank with us because you're black, and we said, okay, fine, we'll put all our money in one place mm-hmm. and we'll consolidate their money. So we got richer off of their off of their stupidity. Yeah, yeah. And they realized that. So for me, I think um, it's better for us to kind of move away from, especially language like like even when we talk about BIPOC, it's like it's like okay, there we go again, consolidating who we are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I- We've, we've, kind we've, of always, yeah. yeah, we've 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 spoken to people that have not issue but concerns with the that acronym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, because because you're saying Black Indigenous, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, and for me, I go, okay. So, like, what what do we mean? Especially because I know how the language has been used against us. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, like they're constantly playing with and changing changing our, our identity yeah these labels and i have no problem with being called a black man i'm a very proud black man mm-hmm. but i understand that that has a double meaning it has a legal meaning right and and then it has a colloquial meaning but what is not in there is an ethnic meaning is mm-hmm. a national meaning right? yeah mm-hmm. um so in other words to say where are the black lands right like call a man Ghanaian or Nigerian or whatever. Yeah. You know, I can make him point back to, hey, this is where I'm from, this is who I am. Right. And especially us as, as Scotians, I think it's important for us to look up and look into, and this is why I have, um, what our what our nationality is, what our heritage is, what our interests are. And our original people used to call themselves the Loon. Right. Before before the, the term Mi'kmaq or Mi'kmaq, as we like to bastardize it, we used to call ourselves the Loon. And I'd like to see us more return to, to that because in that we can establish this is our homeland. This is our indigenous land. And not only that, there's a culture that goes in with that. And that culture, remember, that culture, picking up from the past and carrying forward the best of us mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. i think we can definitely use that uh in the time period in which we live now yeah definitely definitely curtis this has been a uh fantastic discussion man like like seriously i'm glad that uh my cousin Corey put himself forward and introduced us it's been it's been a blessing now be- before we end is there anything that you want to kind of uh uh, end on any, any type of thoughts or notes there. Um, I just, uh, just a couple of things. I, I think, you know, like we're, we're constantly looking into the, to the history of Nova Scotia, uh, the indigenous blacks in Nova Scotia, uh, for this reason, uh, picking up our heritage and, and cooking it forth. Uh, we just launched a, uh, our website on our history, exclusively our history. So we can understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called loan L n u g that's l n u g dot c a um for those who are trying to do some more research into it it's it's a a continuous effort um uh i definitely would would encourage that because for us uh, as a people um we we feel that we've lost so much but once you do the digging you'll find more of it and and um, for me as an individual, it has been um, earth shaking, uh, to say the least, mm-hmm. paradigm shifting. Um, mm-hmm. And but I have so much more respect for us as a people, you know, as Scotians, so much more appreciation. Like we are truly a, a, a genius population. I, I, I just I'm the things I find out blow my mind about 
about who and what we are. And I'm I'm, I'm truly thankful to be Scotia. It's it's so funny because you look at look around and you see that people have done great things all throughout the world. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. I I love that's why I love culture. But mm-hmm. um, I think people will be pleasantly surprised the more you look into uh, our history as Indigenous Blacks in Nova Scotia. Awesome. That's great. Jay Jones, take us out, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Thanks for coming on and sharing some of the knowledge that you have, some histories that, uh, you know, I didn't know for sure. And uh, it it always sort of comes back to that one thing. Like if we look at black communities as a whole, you know, you, you growing up and sort of seeing drug dealers and and do the different things and everything that they were morally doing wrong. They were also morally doing something right by telling you to say, Hey man, stay on the right path. And that is the basis of black community, you know, and that's something we need to get back to uh, coming together to, to lift each other up, no matter how we survive. Um, And, you know, survival is a thing that we all must do. And uh, you know, it, just parts of this conversations made me sort of go back to that and look at Nova Scotia and be fortunate enough to to come from the community that we came from because that's where our history is that's where our identity is beyond what we don't see in the books it's what we are always have been and continue to be going forward and uh thanks for sharing those things because those things came to light for me so I just want to thank you for coming on man yeah, awesome. much much appreciated. Um, that's it was good talk. Good yeah. talk, great good talk. Thanks again, right. man. Take care. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. From the one down below To the future of the funk Getting lost in the flow Contact with the spot McX Now it's time to flex With the force from the soul Reaching all aspects Getting deep No time to sleep As you reach your next phase Laying it all on the line New trail start to blaze It's a fire inside A brand new path Breaking down the sum to one Feeling free I just laugh With the joy of the song Breaking new ground from the breakdown. Like magic prescribed, only to see the perfect blend like a diamond in the rough. Ready to drop a perfect gem. It's time to shine so fine to see what you find.